What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, Wednesday night edition of the podcast. On the other line, right now, another voice. Haven't heard in a while. He's gotten too big at MassLive.com. It's Tom Westerholm. He's a father now. He's just got too many things on his plate. And unfortunately, he does not have room for a side of the Chase Thomas podcast anymore. It's, it's a sad time. I've been plate's pretty full. Always have time for the Chase Thomas podcast. So, yeah. yeah. Good to How be back. How is fatherhood? Dude, it's, it's awesome. It is like it's, it's a thing that you can't really prepare yourself for both how much work it's going to be and how good it is. It's it's really good. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, he's one now. Well, he's shooting hoops. He's dribbling. But I he's, saw that. He's already doing stuff. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm six foot three. So, mm-hmm. I, keep, I keep telling Are you my, really? I am. So, I keep telling my wife Interesting. that, you know, D2 pays for college. So, mm-hmm. he doesn't, you know, he doesn't need to be. Like you know, he he doesn't he doesn't need to be getting like Kentucky offers. He needs you know right. like he, he needs he, Boston he U offers. He, well, that's D one too. But I mean, he doesn't even need oh, I, you know D one. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't need Iona. You know what I mean? He doesn't even need to get to that <laughs> level. Like he can be below mm-hmm. that and still uh, still have his co- college paid for. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Shooting high. Yeah. Westerholm. Well, listen. I mean, if if Kentucky comes calling, I'll take that bag. But otherwise, yeah. No, you should be like, no, um, we actually have been training him for like 16 years to go D3. So unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to pass on uh, John Calipari's 95th year at Kentucky. We're going to stick to uh, whatever small, like, I don't even know who qualifies as D3 because basketball is different in college where there's like 9,000 teams that still qualify for the tournament and all that kind of stuff. So I don't yeah. even know who qualifies for that. I honestly could not tell you either. That's another thing that doesn't yeah. fit on my plate, unfortunately. Okay. Well, what does put on your plate is uh, Boston Celtics news coverage because you are the Boston Celtics beat writer. And um, Tom, I got to say, really have enjoyed this season for Boston. It's been (laughs) one of my favorites. As someone who, as you know, has never been a believer in this group and just the stuff with this Boston team, me picking the Raptors to win the finals this year before it got started. I I feel great. Like I had the Bucks winning the most games in the East with Budenholzer and Giannis. I had Giannis winning MVP. Um, it's been great. 
I, I got to say, Tom, and I just I can only imagine what it's been like for you covering um, the mercurial Kyrie Irving. It has it has been an experience. And, yeah, and you know, what's funny about a lot of this stuff is that, um, you know, the, I think if you went back and looked at a lot of the preseason predictions and you just said, like, OK, does this team talent wise, this team like does actually, you know, like none of the none of the preseason predictions were ridiculous just based on the talent of the team it's just you know it's 70 just, wins was ridiculous oh sure i mean if anybody was saying 70 that, that's 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 uh, there was a certain uh sports podcaster that uh was hyping up them shattering some uh regular season wins records this season just because they had so much depth that there was just no way that this team would lose like more than like 12 games this year i mean yeah they they were they were never going to hit 70, especially with like, a, like mm-hmm. you know, especially early in the year when, you know, you're, when, when you, when you're trying to work guys back in from injuries and, and trying to get like chemistry and all that. But it, you know, what's funny is that all those chemistry issues at the start of the season, everybody says, well, they're going to be fine. These are just early season chemistry issues. And it's almost like they just never sort of figured it out from there. Like they're still stuck in that stretch. And I mean, at, at some point, like you really do have to kind of wonder, like, you know, they're, they're, they're great at home. They're really, really bad on the road, um, you know, and, and they've played themselves into a point where they're probably going to have to play a lot of road games even early in the playoffs. And, I mean, you know, they struggled on the road in the playoffs last year as well. Like, this, this, this team has not given anybody much confidence that they can win, you know, if they, if they have to play games one and two in Philadelphia or in, you know, in Milwaukee or wherever it might be, like, these are teams that they can beat. They've done it before this year, but you know, if the only way they can do it is by having four games at home, that's a major problem at this point. Yeah, it um, the the seating still. We have enough time for them to get out of the four or five spot with Philadelphia, which the NBA needs to do whatever it takes. If that means suspending um, Bojan Bogdanovic and everybody else. <laughs> Uh, as the season goes on to ensure that this team gets a four or five spot and gets eliminated in round one, then you have to do it. If you're going to force the New Orleans Pelicans to play a basketball player um, and force a coaching staff to have to play somebody, um, they should be able to step in and say, um, so Indiana Pacers, you're not getting a 3-6 matchup with the Brooklyn Nets because um, we can't put an entire series on NBA TV, but we might have to with you. I mean, listen, the Pacers, I, like, that's, that's some major disrespect uh, from uh, Chase Thomas on Indiana. Mm-hmm. Who is, who I'm fine with it. Like, they're, they've been playing it, great. And honestly, like, you know, just the, the playing through the adversity that they have, there's a certain, you know, kind of 2017-18 celtics vibe to it where, you know, their best player goes down and they still just kind of rally around it and they, you know, just keep winning games. I, I, I've been really impressed by that, but, you know. I think getting that. I think board. we're all impressed. We just don't want to see it in multiple <laughs> rounds of the playoffs. Like two things can be true. I yeah. I love that that response. It tells me that they believe in the coaching staff. The culture's good. All that great stuff. Because they did actually nosedive right after he got injured. They like lost Briefly. six or seven straight. Yeah. And then they figured it out. So that's even more impressive when you think about it. That their season, they were just like, all right, no, we're not allowing it to just turn into like an eighteen game losing streak. We're not going full Knicks here. But yeah. <laughs> um, their offense still sucks, and they yeah. still take a bunch of twos. And um, I have no interest in seeing a closing three minutes with uh, Darren Collison and uh, Corey Joseph and Bogdanovich. And I just, I, I'm good. No thanks. That's fair. I, I you know, I, but I do think I will say the 
the stakes that would be on the table in a first round Celtics Sixers series would be absolutely incredible. I mean, the Celtics, they need to make a deep playoff run if they like, you know, if they're, if they're hoping to put everything together that they have put together to date, I mean, you know, if they're hoping to keep this team together, if they're hoping to like, keep Kyrie Irving, if they're hoping to, you know, like big plans this summer, if they're hoping that all that comes together, I mean, it, they, they, I'm not saying that like a first round loss would for sure doom all of that, but it would not help. It's like, it would yeah. really, uh, especially, you know, the way that they've, they've lost five or seven, um, and, and just kind of the way that they've been playing recently has clearly frustrated everyone, including certain pending unrestricted free agents. And then when you look at the other side, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at Philadelphia, you know, that's a team that's going to have some convincing of its own to do, um, you know, mm-hmm. with free agents this summer. And then, you know, with <laughs> down the line with a, another clutch sports guy and Ben Simmons, I mean, there's the, the implications of that series would be ridiculous. And obviously, you know, it might set up a slightly lackluster second round series in terms of big name potential, um, you know, with, with the Pacers, but there, I mean, there would be, there would be a lot of storylines and a lot of really impactful stuff coming out of a first round series. between the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, the Sixers, the most, probably the, they're, I think they have more to lose than anyone in the East. Actually, no, that's not true. I think you, they have the most depth to lose because just JJ, Jimmy and um, Tobias can all leave this summer yeah. and how they perform in the playoffs is going to be a huge thing for them, but it's still the Raptors. Like they have the most to lose because if they don't make the finals, Kawhi, I don't see staying, but if they make the finals, I think he stays. So it's like one of those things where, do you, would you like to keep the, a top five player in basketball for the next couple of years and keep going to the finals and keep winning a lot of basketball games um, by playing a great style and playing with all these amazing role players that only really work because you have a superstar now? Yeah. Um, I think they have the most to lose. I mean, this is why you get into this game anyway. You, you take these big swings, but um, I don't think the Sixers are actually competing for anything huge this year. My biggest thing with the Sixers is... Um, Joel Embiid's knee is already acting up again and it still comes down to his health. Like is Joel Embiid still going to be a dominant, amazing, healthy specimen two years from now? Yeah. I have my doubts. I still like it would, it shouldn't shock anyone if he just falls off a cliff with injuries in three years. I don't want it to happen. Obviously I love Joel Embiid, but like, this is my biggest thing is like I push in this podcast where I'm like, I would never draft a big or build my team around a big like DeAndre Ayton. Like he's getting 20 and 10 a night. It doesn't matter. That Suns team does not matter because like, it's just building around a big, unless it's like an Al Horford type, one of those do it all bigs, Clint Capella, stuff like that, where they just are these cogs that just make an impact on both ends. I just, even still, I don't, I just don't want to put my hand, my keys in 2019 to a big guy. And that's that's just my bigger issue with the Sixers, and part of the reason that the Celtics should be fine because they actually built the team the right way, where they have all this wing and guard depth, and they're pretty thin at the at the five and the four. So I, I um, well, I, they're, it's, yeah, they're weirdly I don't know. not they're weirdly not thin at the five and the four because they do have you know Baines hasn't been playing the last few days and our last oh, I thought you were about games. to say because um, the semi Ojale is a uh, pretty thick AF. <laughs> He's a, he's a well-built individual. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, listen, like, like the, the weird thing about this Celtics team and, and something that's really kind of under-discussed is the fact that Baines, when, when he plays, I think it's, when he hits a certain minute threshold, and I think it's either 15 or 20, um, Celtics are 15 and 2. 
um, with him when, when he hits hmm. that threshold. So, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that they're necessarily thin there. But, yeah, you know, to your larger point, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm kind of with you on building around a big. Like, I mean, that's, you know. Like, they I don't think, control their touches. Like, they're, it they just matters. Their, Possessions yeah. don't matter. Yeah. They don't control their touches. And, and it's just like it's so easy in a league with, you know, guards where, where people are switching a lot and you have to run such complicated like, pick-and-roll coverages, you know, and, and that really involve your big men. You know, that's where guys like Al Horford are so valuable because he's so good with his feet. He's so, you know, mm-hmm. good at closing off angles. And, I mean, Embiid, for his size, is really good at that stuff, too. But when you go up against the elite guards, I mean, Irving can, you know, Kyrie can eat him, can eat him alive. Like, he, he can, you know, he, he can come off a screen. He can, he can put Embiid in a blender. I mean, you know, and, and Embiid is, is as good as they come, you know, at that size. But it, it's just kind of a, it's, it's a tough matchup, and, and the Celtics exploit it every single time. So, you know, to your point, I, I kind of agree. I mean, I would not be trying to build around an elite big man, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, the Sixers... The Sixers, I like what they did over the trade deadline. I like the, the other pieces that they put into place. And, um, yeah, I don't know, man. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> a lot a, riding on the playoffs, it turns out. A whole out. lot riding on the playoffs. I think, I, I, I really think that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different directions it could go. And uh, every single one of them could have, like, you know, five, six, seven-year implications for, for the rest of the league. So how would you diagnose... Boston's problem, though, based on everything you've seen to this point, how would you diagnose what's going on? Is it just um, Brad Steven is actually the worst coach in basketball? Because I don't think we can roll that out either. Um, our president, Brad Stevens, um, who might be more valuable than LeBron James, according to a certain reporter from not too long ago. So, that was a um, yeah, that was a wild take. I think eh. I, I think the way I would diagnose it is just basically, I think it starts. There's there are a lot of different things going wrong. I think that it starts with a lack of cohesion. Um, you know, these guys, I don't like that the, their on court fit has just never looked good, which is strange. Um, but I, I think that part of it is just that there's, there's a, so much talent that you've got guys like Terry Rozier who start on some teams. You've got guys like Tatum who would be like the best young prospect on a lot of teams. And they're not being asked to be those things. They're being asked to be something very different. Like, Jalen Brown is being asked to be an energy guy and still be himself when last year, you know, he was the second best player on the team, like during the, during the well, you know, second or third best player on the team, the second highest scorer during the playoff run. Um, so, I mean, that's a really tough thing to ask somebody to do because he's got to sort of like rearrange his entire game. I think there's been a lot of that, like guys sort of having to rearrange their entire game. And by the way, the guy who's been the best on the team is the guy who hasn't had to rearrange his entire game, and that's Kyrie Irving. And then, you know, you get into Al Horford. He's been getting healthy, and he's back to just being himself. Those guys who have been themselves have been really good. And I don't know, I don't know that that is really something that can be blamed on anyone because if you're blaming it on Danny Ainge, it's like, okay, he assembled all of this talent. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do as a general manager. If you blame it on Brad Stevens, it's like, well – you know, he's got all these guys to work with. <laughs> he can only really do what he can with the guys that he's working with. And, I, and he, has, he definitely hasn't been perfect. And he would tell you that he hasn't been perfect. And, uh, you know, there have been, like, smaller issues. Like, he doesn't call timeouts fast enough. And he's a little too stubborn on his rotations, That kind of thing. But I think, honestly, if you just want, like, one thing that everything sort of boils down to, it's a lack of cohesion. And then things branch out from there. You know, 
Rozier feels like he needs to try to do a lot in his touches instead of sort of playing within the offense. Jalen feels like he needs to do a lot in his touches instead of playing within the offense. And then you just, things kind of snowball a little bit. Um, so I think that's probably the easiest answer um, to a very, very complicated issue. Um, there's obviously a yeah. lot, a lot more things going on. Um, I think that in recent, in the last couple of weeks, I mean, I think Kyrie's gotten really frustrated, um, you know, with the losses, with the media. Well, he's know. handled it great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he, he does have, he, Kyrie's the, the kind of guy who's never going to sort of let you lead him to an answer. He, like he just, he mm-hmm. won't like he, he knows what you want him to say when you ask him a question, and he's, he, he does not like to be led to an answer, ever. And so if you're trying yeah. to lead him to an answer that's like a positive thing, he's going to push back on it. And, <laughs> like, that can hmm. get uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, if, I, think, I think that that has sort of, you know, his frustrations have really sort of trickled down as well. Um, and, yeah. you know, and that's kind of what I mean. Like, it's a lot of different problems. But I think a lot of it kind of boils down to that cohesion and just kind of, you know, nobody feeling super comfortable in what they're trying to do, um, you know, on the court. Well, I think the brightest spot is just how Hayward played towards the end of the uh, before the All-Star break happened and him starting to find his footing. Because I feel like that's like their, um, their maybe their saving grace down the stretch of just like maybe he's the guy who because he is just like someone that everybody should want to play with anyway just because yeah. he likes helping everybody he likes distributing he's fine um not being the center of attention he's fine distributing to tatum and Kyrie. he's not like even though he did get paid he did get the the red carpet uh laid out for him he is brad stevens uh basically uh I don't even know how many sons uh, Brad Stevens has, but uh, he's one of them, I believe. I think it's Gordon Hayward Stevens at this point. I think they're going to hyphenate it next year. Um, We'll have to see. But um, I think that's the most interesting thing because if he gets anywhere close – because when you say he's – from what I've seen, he's – He's getting better. Like he's getting more comfortable, and him getting being able to play with the bench group was huge. I think making that adjustment because that's a tough pill to swallow when you're the kind, of, the kind of player Hayward is, and you make the kind of money you do, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I wonder if that's what kind of brings this team back together is Hayward just getting really close back to who he was in Utah down the stretch. I think that's plausible. You know, he actually since the All Star break, obviously the Celtics lost three in a row. Um, and they've struggled. He, he struggled a little bit too. Um, he, he twisted his right ankle, so not the not the one he fractured um, over the All Star break, like getting shots up and stuff with Femi Ojale. So he's kind of he's kind of fallen off a little bit, like in the most recent. But yeah, I mean his play before the All Star break was really good. He and I think one of the things the Celtics have, have done a good job of with him is you know turning him back into the sort of playmaker, pick and roll, um, you know type of type of guy that he was in. Utah you know a lot of the time in Utah he would initiate the offense he would be the primary facilitator you know who also looks to score and when he does that he can be really really dangerous I mean he's he's a very very good passer he's a very good ball handler and um, you know just at his size he does a lot of nice things and you know I think for him the biggest key is that he has struggled when he misses his first shot he tends to have a bad game and when he makes his first shot he tends to have a great one so for him the biggest issue is just going to be like not just not just not like you know when when you miss your first shot you can't only 
it can't only be a thing where you keep chucking up shots. It's got to be a thing where you still believe that your next shot is going in. Um, you know, because he'll, he'll still shoot if he misses his first shot, but you can just tell that, that it's not a shot that he necessarily believes in. So when he gets back to a point where he believes that his threes are going in, every single one of them, that's really important. And I, th- I think that's really going to matter. Yeah, he needs to start thinking he's Marcus Smart, uh, who <laughs> thinks every three is going in. I'm I mean, pretty if, sure if he thinks everything's going to work. If those two could just siphon a little bit of their offense, you know, just trade a little bit of their I was going to say, if offense. he just had his confidence, like, yeah. that's what Hayward needs. <laughs> I think he just needs, like, Marcus Smart just needs to figure out a way to transfer his um, just unbelievable machismo into Gordon Hayward. And then I fixed the Celtics. I think that's actually all it is. That would, like, no joke whatsoever. That would make a huge difference. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, to Smart's credit, his three-point shooting has been a lot better this year. But, you know. There was one game I saw a couple weeks ago where he was eight for eight from deep. And I just, I love those kind of box scores where <laughs> I'll just see something Marcus Smart and I'm just like, what the fuck? Why do, why do we even keep up with this stuff? How does Marcus Smart do this? But that's why I like Marcus Smart a lot. I mean, there, um, was, a, there was a stretch where he was shooting, like, right before the All-Star break. He was up to, like, 38% from three this season, for the whole season. Uh, I think he's down to probably, like, 36 by now. Uh, but yeah, mm. I mean, he was he was hitting like it was it, it did not even look fake like it looked like a real. That's still uh, higher than uh, Kyle Lowry right now, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it was at the time it was like notably higher than Clay Thompson, which was funny. But yeah, mm. well, I've always said Marcus Smart had a lot of clay in him. Um, Marcus Clay Thompson Smart, yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, the last thing on the Celtics, and this is a two-parter, and then we'll move on. Um, do you think Kyrie Irving has? any idea what he's doing this summer because i don't and i think people are overreacting to all this moody behavior from him because it's a long season and things like this happen there is adversity he's facing adversity he's doing weird stuff with lebron and all that that great stuff talking to katie in tunnels but like i think bringing it back to what we talked about at the beginning i just i don't think he has any idea right now i think he's focused on what happens in the playoffs like the celtic to the finals it's gonna be really hard for him to leave but if they get knocked out in the first round, that changes stuff for him. If they flame out in spectacular fashion and he's seen, like, yelling at um, Marcus Smart or whatever, or him and Brad, just, like, him, like, blowing off Brad from the sidelines or something like that, that changes things. But I just, I don't think, it's just, it's not a fun answer to just be like, uh, we'll see what they do in round one. That's when we'll start thinking about what's happening to Kyrie. Because I just, I don't get the sense at all that any of these guys, especially Kyrie, has any idea what he's doing this summer. I think that's a fair diagnosis. I think, you know, for the Celtics, almost I think almost the best possible scenario would be for them to make the finals or be really, really competitive in the conference finals, like either like lose in seven in the conference finals or lose to the Warriors in the finals. And then you can sell Kyrie on like, we're almost there. We've almost got it with you. Then you trade for AD and then you, and then you tell AD like, look, man, like, look how close we were. You get to come in. You get to be, like, the piece that puts us over the top. You and Kyrie are, like, the, you know, the, the future of our team here. Um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways that would almost be the best possible scenario. I think if you ask Kyrie right this second, and this is not, like, sourced or anything. This is just, like, my impression from watching. Um, I think if you ask Kyrie right this second, like, <laughs> and you are not a reporter because if you're a reporter and you ask Kyrie anything right now, it's not going to go well. Um, if you mm-hmm. uh, if you ask him right this second what he's doing this summer, I think that he would probably say that he was leaning um, towards. I, I, it feels like he's kind of leaning toward leaving now, but there's so much time left in the season. I don't think that that 
that what he feels right now has any bearing on what he's going to feel when it comes time to make a decision to, to decide where he goes. Um, I, I think that New York is certainly in play, much more in play. And I will say this, I think it's much more in play than I thought it was two weeks ago. Um, you know, mm-hmm. two weeks ago, I thought that obviously they were having their struggles, but I thought that everything was kind of fine. Um, and, you know, since then they've lost five of seven and that will make anybody aggravated and it has made him aggravated. And I, you know, he has his options open this summer. Um, you know, it, yeah. so I think that, do you know what he shouldn't do? What's that? I, I, I have a go feeling. to New York. Oh, okay. I, I was, I thought you were going to say he should not declare his intention to resign in front of a, uh, uh, TD Garden full of season ticket holders, but yeah. Oh, that's not great. Yeah, no, I wouldn't do that either. Um, but also, no, I don't think that matters. Like, I think in the 24-hour news cycle, none of that shit matters, because people will have forgotten about that two days later. Like, some people remember that, but I think the majority of people have no idea he even did that. So, I don't I just, know, man. Celtics fan, every Celtics Maybe a lot of Celtics fans that. remember all that, <laughs> and every, but and like... And every Knicks fan remembers it, too, because that was the night that they all thought they were screwed, so... Yeah, well, the Knicks are still screwed because now they have a bunch of cap space and they've done this before. And the idea that like you're selling me on James Dolan and Scott Perry and Steve Mills landing two of the top 10 players in basketball in the same offseason, that's unprecedented. Like the, It took Pat Riley a lot of luck to even do that with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. Like, it's so hard to pull stuff like that off. It's so hard. Like, look at the Paul George stuff. Look at, uh, there's just so many different variables. Like teams, Most teams are going to fail this summer. We don't talk about that. The majority of the teams that have cap space this summer, one of them's going to give like Nikola Vucevic like a five-year, a billion-dollar contract. Yeah. One of your teams is doing that because that's how it has to work. Somebody has to get paid. It's not like baseball where they can just all collectively decide not to pay anybody anymore. Um, I, I just, you're asking me to believe a lot in James Dolan and the Knicks when this has never gone well, and there's a better option in a better location in Los Angeles. And I'm not talking about the Lakers. The Clippers have all the pieces that you would want. If Kevin Durant went to the Clippers, he would immediately, it would be his team. It would be his, he would finally have his own group that he could build the home roster around. He has some nice young pieces in Shea Gildas Alexander. He has Montrezl Harrell. He'll have guys that still matter who are available, but then he can also bring Kyrie. Like if you want, like why would Kyrie not want that? That would be, I would trust Ballmer and that front office far more than I'm trusting James Dolan, the New York Knicks. It's right, insanity so, that this is a thing. I, I just, I cannot believe it. So I get all of that, and I, I see your point. Don't necessarily disagree with you, but I will say a couple of things about that. One, I do think that the chances of, I mean, from every, from all the noise that we've heard, the KD to, to, to New York stuff seems somewhat uh, real. And I think there's probably something to be said for the fact that Obviously, the Lakers are struggling. Obviously, LeBron has not had a great season. But I would say that, like, if KD plays for the Clippers and LeBron plays for the Lakers, I think that LeBron is still clearly the man in his city. And I don't know if that matters. I don't think so. I, th- I, I don't think that's debatable. Because, like, even when the Lakers are bad and the Clippers are, are decent, like, the Lakers are still, like, more nationally relevant and but i mean the clippers could go to the finals like that team could beat the warriors if you get Kyrie and him and maybe even jimmy butler to some degree like there's there's an avenue for them to immediately become the best team in the west but there's also an avenue for the knicks to immediately become the best team in the east. no I there's not that's never at, been a thing it's never, it hasn't been a thing for listen. decades well, you, no if you're just talking, i won't do it if you're just talking avenues i mean they could let, okay let, let, let's let's play this out real quick because if they sign Kyrie and they sign kd 
like I I know that the Celtics see New York as a legitimate rival in terms of trading for AD because even if mm-hmm. they don't get the Zion Williamson pick, you can still go to New Orleans and say, listen, we will give you all these young players. Some of them have shown some nice promise. Mitchell Robinson has shown some nice stuff. You know, even even somebody like Alonzo Trier is like a nice little piece that, that is like a little oh, bit. Oh, please stop. It's, it's a oh, God. What is happening? But, then, New York Knicks beat writer. And then, and then Mark Berman, Tom Westerhome. <laughs> you can also go to that and say, let's say it's the number three pick in the draft. There is something very alluring to teams about having the number three pick and then you getting to make that selection. You know, we talk about this all the time. Like, you know, once the pick is made, it's less valuable. But when it's the number three pick, there's some real value there because then, you know, it's kind of like that, uh, you know, that Simpsons thing where it's like, this box could be anything. Like, I I could either have a boat or this box, and this box could be anything. It could even be a boat. It's like, yeah, like the number three pick, it could be anything. Like, you could get Jason Tatum or you could get the number three pick. It could be anything. It could be Jason Tatum. Like, I think that that matters. Um, And I I think that the the New York, the, the Knicks can put together a really, really nice package for AD. That almost feels easier to me in terms of building that trio than, you know, the Clippers and any, any of those teams. Like, I, I think that, I think that, I think that the New York trio is really in play. We'll see, but I, okay. I, I think that it's plausible. I'm betting on Clippers. If I, if I had to bet on where Katie is this summer, I think okay. it's the Clippers, but All right, well, listen, we'll, we'll this see. This summer I will have much more time, much less on my plate. And when, when this is all sorted out, if I was betting on Clippers or Knicks, I would bet on Knicks. You've got Clippers. Okay. We'll, we'll talk it out. We will. Um, we'll figure it out. Um, last couple things before uh, you have to go. You have a game to cover tonight because the Celtics are there, and you're in a TD Waterhouse Arena. Is that say what it's called? Uh, the TD Bank. TD Bank Garden. TD Bank. There you go. That one. Um, they change names all the time. <laughs> Huge Celtics fan here. Um, the the Suns have taken all the heat off the the Pelicans ownership group, which I've appreciated. Woes just lit them up this week uh Windhorse did uh James Jones and the other co-GM uh, are maybe with the franchise after the summer depends on who they hire um but it's just apparently been a dumpster fire but I could have told you that considering they went the entire season without a point guard uh which was bold move in yeah. uh 2019 to just be like what about this uh, rookie point guard from, I, I think he's from France, Okapo? Okapo, I think is his name. He's uh, a lefty. He's, uh, Eliakobo. I think that's yep. his name. Yeah, Eliakobo, yeah. He's not good, and he's not supposed to be good because he's a late first-round pick who should be, like, two years away from being two years away. And Devin Booker has obviously been injured a little bit, but Josh Jackson has not developed the right way. They have, like, one guy in the scouting department, and it's Ronnie Price, apparently. Like, there's just so many little under things. I'm like, how did we not know about any of this beforehand? And then poor Igor, already reports coming out, not making it through year one. He's uh, probably getting the shaft, and I saw that, and I'm like, oh, God. I know where this is going with James Jones being in the front office. Ty Lue took a year off. Ooh. Ty Lue is going to be in Phoenix, yep. and David Griffin's going to get the GM job. And he's going to go back to Phoenix because he's like one of the few ones I think would still work for Sarver. And he's running out of options if he wants to get back in the league, I think. I mean, first of all, I do feel bad for Igor. Like, what a what a tough, tough spot to be in. Um, I Man, it, you know, it, it's funny, like, kind of watching Phoenix from a distance because I'm still high on a lot of their guys. Like, I, I mean... 
like <laughs> you joke about Elliot Cobo. I watched some of that. I, you know, I watched some film on that guy before the draft. I liked him a lot. I kind of thought that if the Celtics were going to try to move on from Rozier this summer, he'd be a nice, uh, a nice little piece around twenty. Yeah, but you don't play him thirty-six minutes right next to all your starters right away. Of that's course. the issue. I mean, that's that's a tough situation. And but I mean, you know, just like when you go through the laundry list of, um, you know, a, a, a lottery picks that they've had, Aiton's been so good and it has not impacted their winning one bit. Um, you know, like Booker's had some just really unreal performances and it has not affected their winning one bit in fact you know sometimes they're worse um yeah I, the only thing that really stands out is mikhail bridges I was that was a great gonna, trade for them he's yeah. good yeah yeah he's i mean I, I like that trade for them even though i liked uh zaire smith um yeah i i i, I and, and i was wrong about bridges too i will say that like I, when i was watching him at villanova i was like I, this is this is the guy like you know this is the third year guy who's still really skinny and who um, you know, is, is a fine shooter, but not like an elite one. But I was wrong about him. Mm-hmm. He's really good. And he's, he's definitely a piece they should hang out to. Uh, but, uh, I mean, like, I, I would like to see them. I would like to see Igor get another year. I would like to see what they look like next year. I would like to see if Aiton starts, like, really affecting winning. Um, because, yeah, I mean, the, the various, like, young talents they have on that team, they should be better than they are. And maybe it's just a matter of giving young guys a chance to play together and then a chance to, like, develop a little continuity or maybe the entire like Suns franchise should just fold i don't know like they're they're a wild scene over there yeah there's no hope um, there's <laughs> really here. no hope no well, i just no, don't there's... think you can solve this anytime soon i feel like bad ownership is really really hard to overcome your best bet is for them to just be like screw it and hand the keys over to some guy like really go full hands off like that's the only way it gets better is if they like just get really old and or they buy another team they focus on that more like i I just i don't know how you fix bad ownership like i just think that it it just it seeps into all the crevices from top to bottom and i i just don't know how you do it the best case scenario is you bring back someone who's willing to work for him that you know is good at their job and that's david griffin so it'd be yeah. cool. I mean, I think that's what I hope for is like him and James Jones have a familiarity. Um, Igor, let him go back to Utah where he won't want to pull his hair out um, trying to coach a very bad Suns team. But uh, I, I don't know. I could, I just if I had to bet on how this summer goes, I think David Griffin's like president of basketball ops and Tyler's the coach, and Eric Bledsoe is the point guard. No, I have no idea. Um, but I, I just. They have to do something at that point, but I, I don't know. I hope they don't get the number one pick. That is what I'm. Well, I don't know. You know what's more mad? I would. I, who I would, would you be more mad about, Phoenix or Cleveland? Because I feel like Cleveland's about to do it again. I'm getting yeah. increasingly concerned they're about to do this again. I mean, maybe I, I, I would be a little bit more upset with them just because I think that. But you know what? I will say I think Phoenix, if they got the number two pick and they went with John Morant, I'm a huge John Morant guy. Um, I've watched mm, a lot. Of, yeah, that would be perfect. I've watched a lot of him, and I think he's really good. Um, and I think you know they need a point guard. They need a guy like that. So I mean, if Cleveland did get the number one pick and Phoenix, you know, came away from all this tanking without Zion, I mean, they they would still have a chance to to bring in like a real impact guy who fits their team really really nicely. So um, I think to me the biggest thing that it comes down to this summer is is their draft pick and just kind of where that goes. Because yeah, I mean. I think that David Griffin's really good. I think he'd be a nice pickup for them, um, you know, for their front office. And, I, and, you know, there's a lot of things that could happen. But realistically, I mean, if they get Zion Williamson, 
then this whole conversation about them changes entirely. And, you know, maybe they play him at small ball five and maybe they trade DeAndre Ayton or maybe they, you know, try to pair him and Ayton up. And, you know, I, I don't know that that would work, but it would sell a heck of a lot of tickets. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that basically it comes down to who they draft and, and, and who they have a chance to draft. And we'll go from there. I think, you know, basically what I'm saying is that I like R.J. Barrett still, but if they get R.J. Barrett, I think that's a problem. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, yeah. Too many wings. Um, Too many last wings. thing, very quickly, and then we'll go. Did you gleam anything from Denver OKC last night? Uh, I can't say that I did because I was at Celtics Raptors. So. Perfect. I'm going to do 30 seconds on what I gleaned. <laughs> Ready, Tom? Yep. <laughs> uh, this, the Nuggets are this better include Gary Isaiah Harris. Thomas. That's all I'm saying. If this doesn't include Isaiah Thomas, I'm hanging up on you. Uh, well, Isaiah Thomas uh, would not be in my rotation still. Oh I'm actually gosh. very concerned about where this is going. Monte Morris is really good. He should he be 45% really from three. So yeah, he's, I, he's really I know where this is going. He's going to get DMP CDs in the playoffs. Like, that's happening. Isaiah Thomas is going to get those backup point guard minutes. And I just, uh, he's a great story, but Monte Morris is great. And I feel bad for him. He's going to get pushed away because Isaiah Thomas is the great story, the veteran, all that good stuff. So, well, they've been playing whatever. together. I don't those know. Two, I have those mixed... two guys have been playing together, though. We'll see. I, I just don't think that's going to happen come playoff time. You, there's right. no way those two are on the floor at the same time. Zero chance. Especially if they're, like, match up with the Spurs. or No, it's just not happening. All right. Um, but Gary Harris, that's the one. He just floats i don't know if he's still not healthy but he's the one i just can't quit if he finds the next gear because jamal murray is clearly taking a leap Jokic is obviously insane Millsap is a defensive monster will barton does every little thing possible but if gary harris pops then they're they're good but i just felt like the thunder were right there and if i didn't seeing it a little bit i was like oh the thunder are beating them in a seven game series but if gary harris gets to like 27 and 5 territory and he really gets that jump which i really still believe he can do then they're in business but i don't know if they're getting that from him this year with all the time he's missed and all the weird stuff going on there i i don't know i i felt better about the thunder coming out of that game i guess is all i'm saying yeah okay i i would really like both of those teams every time i've watched them i'm i'm in on both so that's my hot take from the game that i did not watch paul george still good at basketball yeah that guy's nasty yeah, pretty good. Tom Westerholm, you have a game to cover. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything we need to check out on MassLive.com before we go? Uh, got a lot of stuff up there from uh, from Celtics Raptors. Uh, you know, some thoughts on on Kyrie answering five questions with nineteen words. Um, and mm. yeah, just uh, you know, we'll have Celtics Blazers tonight, uh, which will be tomorrow uh, when you uh, when you hear it. So yeah. Perfect. All right, Tom, enjoy tonight and let's uh, reconvene very soon. Let's do it, man. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play or wherever else you get your podcasts, uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. 
Uh, thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.